moved ever closer towards the end of July 1914. Three years earlier, in a speech in the German parliament, the Reichstag, the German socialist August Bebel had claimed, to heated contradiction and objection, that the danger of a coming European war was mounting, and that such a war would bring catastrophe to the continent. The Götterundammerung of the bourgeois world is approaching, he declared. The war didn't, as Babel intimated, lead to the collapse of capitalism and the triumph of socialism, but he was prescient in foreseeing that it would usher in a new era. The American diplomat George Kennan later described the war as the great seminal catastrophe. He was right. It was certainly a catastrophe. And it inaugurated an epoch, the Thirty Years' War of the Twentieth Century, in which the continent of Europe came close to destroying itself. A Golden Age? The image of a glittering era of stability, prosperity, and peace, tragically swept away in the horrors to come, was what lingered, especially in the memories of the privileged classes after the First World War. The Gilded Age was how Americans came to describe the pre-war years, but the term captured the way that Europeans too began to think of this era. The Parisian bourgeoisie remembered La Belle Époque as the time when French culture was the envy of the world, when Paris seemed the centre of civilization. The property classes of Berlin looked back at the Wilhelmine era as a period of wealth, security, grandeur, and the national stature that befitted the recently united Germany. Vienna, too, seemed at a pinnacle of its cultural glory, intellectual brilliance and historic imperialist grandeur. Munich, Prague, Budapest, St. Petersburg, Moscow, and other cities across the continent shared in an efflorescence of culture. New, challenging, provocative forms of artistic expression embraced practically all forms of art, literature, music, and theatre in an explosion of bold creativity. In London, economics mattered more than culture. In the capital of the global empire, the generation after the First World War would hanker after a bygone golden age of continued economic growth, flourishing trade, and stable currencies. The great British economist John Maynard Keynes famously wrote after the war of the inhabitant of London, who could order by telephone, sipping his morning tea in bed, the various products of the whole earth in such quantity as he might see fit and reasonably expect their early delivery upon his doorstep. This was, of course, a highly privileged perspective by an upper-middle-class man of wealth and standing in the city that was the centre of world trade. Few in the shtetlers of Eastern Europe, the impoverished countryside of southern Italy, Spain, Greece, or Serbia, or among the urban masses huddled in the slums of Berlin, Vienna, Paris, St. Petersburg, or London itself, would have recognised such an idyllic existence. Still, the image of a golden age wasn't merely a post-war construction.
Despite Europe's internal divisions and nationalistic rivalries, all countries shared in the unimpeded movement of goods and capital as part of an interwoven global international capitalist economy. The stability that permitted economic growth itself rested on recognition of the gold standard as a sort of world currency rooted in the dominance of the City of London. In this, the Bank of England held the key to the stability of the world economy. Invisible earnings from shipping, insurance, interest and exports more than matched Britain's import surpluses. There had been a big increase in the supply of gold in 1897-98, to especially from South Africa, but the Bank of England neither built up excessive gold reserves which would have damaged other countries, nor diminished them. The economies of the USA and Germany were more dynamic, growing faster than the British economy.